Hello, my name is Ed Frawley. Today we're going to talk about learning to train your dog with markers or marking and shaping behavior in your dog training. This podcast is also available as a free ebook on my website at Learberg.com. Your dog is nothing more than a reflection of your skill as a dog trainer, and dog training is a skill that everyone can learn. The difference between a good dog trainer and a great dog trainer oftentimes boils down to good timing and good communication. Marker training will improve both of these skills of the bond between the dog and the handler as much as marker training. Once dog owners learn to apply the concepts of markers to their training, they open a window of communication between their dog and themselves that many thought never existed. Markers teach the dog to actively problem solve. Markers teach the dog to want to figure out what it is you want to do. The new version of my video, Basic Dog Obedience, teaches you some of the basic skills of good timing and marker training. This is a four-hour DVD that's listed on Learberg.com. Learning timing skills is where every new dog trainer should start obedience training. The fact is, without understanding and employing good timing, trainers will often flounder and only confuse their dogs. Dogs are far more intuitive than we humans. They read us like a book. They know when we're happy, and they know when to leave us alone. They base all their life's decisions on things that reinforce their level of comfort and things that satisfy their pack instincts. Dogs are extremely aware of exactly what they're doing at a specific moment in time when good things happen to them. They always know exactly what they're doing at a specific time when unpleasant things happen to them. So dogs strive to do the things that make them more comfortable And with that in mind, most dogs will take the easiest route to being comfortable. Let me offer an example of a dog that takes the path of least resistance in making himself comfortable. This is a dog that likes to sleep on the furniture. He's learned that when he's napping on the couch and he growls at the wife or the kids of the family as they walk by him, they leave him alone. This same dog also knows that the man of the house does not want the dog on the furniture. The dog has learned that every time the husband catches him on the couch or on a chair, he gets a swift boot in the rear end. Not a comfortable thing for that dog. So as soon as the husband comes through the front door of the house, the dog wakes up and quickly gets off the furniture of his own accord. He doesn't need to be told to do this. This dog has learned how to take the path of least resistance to making himself comfortable. He does what works for him. He growls at the wife and the kids, and he steers clear of the husband as soon as the man walks through the front door of the house. He doesn't like being a football. This is a black and white concept to the dog. There is no middle ground. Marker training is the exact same thing. It's a black and white concept that all dogs can understand. Now, let me explain how marker training works. We start marker training by teaching a dog that every time we say the word yes or every time they hear a click 
from a clicker, the dog gets a really good, high-value treat. These treats come from either our left hand or our right hand, and they're stored in a bait pouch that we keep on the back of our belt. In other words, we teach the dog to assign a personal comfort value on the word yes or the sound of a clicker. We'll define yes or the click from a clicker as a mark. In the first step of marker training, we take a dog out, And whenever he does something that we like, we simply say yes or click the clicker and then offer a high-value food treat. At this stage, we never give a command and we never ask the dog to do anything. We only mark random behaviors. In fact, commands are not added to this work for a long, long time. This is a very important part of market training that I'll discuss in a few minutes. New trainers who think that their dogs know what sit or down means, often make the mistake of starting marker training by giving a sit or down command and then marking the sit. The problem is that if the dog does not understand the command and does not follow the voice command, the owner ends up having to say, sit Fido, Fido sit, sit, This only confuses an already confused dog. So it's vital that people understand the essence of marker training is to start with no commands at all. In the beginning, you're going to have to answer the question, should you use yes or should you use a clicker in your marker training? Personally, I prefer using the word yes over a clicker. I know I will always be able to say yes. I also know there may be times that I don't have my clicker with me. If you choose to use the word yes, it's important to learn to say yes exactly the same way every time you say it. Don't add inflection or don't change the tone in how you pronounce the word. It must sound the exact same every time. To change the sound of the word will often change the meaning of the word to your dog. Remember how perceptive they are? Well, they pick up on different ways of saying yes. So, our only goal in the first step of training is to show our dog that every time we say the word yes or click the clicker, they get a high-value treat. This is called loading or charging the word or loading or charging the click. There are some things that you can do to mark during this first step of training. Remember, there are no commands. If a dog looks at your face, you can say yes. Turning without calling him to come to you, you can say yes. Lying down of his own accord can get a yes. Sitting on his own gets a yes. The important thing to remember here is I don't care what he does. I don't care. We are not teaching an exercise here. We are loading the word yes, or we're loading the clicker. So you you can click any random behavior that you want. The order of events to do this is important, though, and it goes like this. The dog does something you like, anything really. You say yes or you click. Then you wait for a second and reward the dog. Now, here's the really important thing here. You don't move your hand when you click, and you don't move your hand to get the reward until one second after you've clicked. It's important that 
there's about a one-second delay between the word and the reward. It's critical to never move the hand until after you say yes. To do so changes the value of the word to the dog. Being as intuitive as they are, they will associate the comfort value on the movement of your hand and not on the word yes. It's also just as important to only say the word yes or click the clicker one time. Don't get excited and say yes, yes, yes. That's wrong. And rather than charge the word, that discharges the word yes or discharges the clicker. It dilutes the value of the word. When I first started to train with markers, this was a difficult thing for me to do. I'd say yes several times in a row because I was so pleased with what the dog was doing. It took some self-inflicted remote control corrections on myself to control my mouth, but then people tell me that about my mouth all the time, and I'm used to it. So, what's a high-value treat? Different dogs have different ideas of what treats they like the best. There are a couple of important points about treats. The first is they should be very small. You should be able to put two or three of these treats on a dime. The concept of using treats is not to feed the dog, but to offer him a reward. When dogs are properly motivated, they don't need to be large treats. In fact, larger treats slow down the training because we have to wait for the dog to chew them. We want our dogs to eat these treats very quickly, less than a second. The best treats are soft, and they basically disappear when you put them in your dog's mouth. This leaves the dog wanting more, so his drive stays high. You can see the size of the pieces of venison that I cut up if you go to the free ebook and look at it on my website. These pieces are very, very, very small. We sell a lot of all-natural dog treats that work well, too. I like the Simon & Huey treats. I like the Zooks Mini Natural Puppy treats. They're excellent for marker work. They're, they're small, they're the correct size, and they're soft. It only takes a dog a split second to get him down his mouth. I need to write an article sometime about how to use various kinds of treats in different types of dog training, because there's a big difference in treats, how you use them and when you use them. Trainers should take the time to establish and prioritize a list of dog treats your dog really loves. This is going to vary from dog to dog. Try and establish a number of one through four or one through five for various treats that your dog likes. You may find that the number one treat is distracting to the dog because he wants it so much, he can't think and he can't focus. So at that point, you may want to back down and work normal training in your home or your backyard where there's not a lot of distraction with treat number two or treat number three. Then when you move your training into a high distraction area, you're going to go back and use treat number one because that treat has a lot of drive associated with your dog. And the distractions from the environment are going to offshadow and be controlled by the distractions from the treat and the drive to get it, if I'm making myself clear here. So how do you prioritize treats for your dog? Will you do it by asking your dog? 
You can ask the dog to tell you what treats he likes more than others. Back tie your dog. That means tie him to a post. Let him smell a treat that's in your hand. Hold it close to his nose, but not close enough so he can snatch it out of your hand. Allow him to watch you lay the treat on the ground just outside of his reach. Do this same thing with a second treat. Let him smell it. Let him watch you lay it down, but not too close to the first treat on the ground. Then release the dog and see which one he goes to first. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that the dog likes the treat he goes to first. What you would do is go back and retie the dog and then reverse the positions of where you laid the treats on the ground. Move them around to see if there's a logical order that he always goes to the same treat and gets it first. That establishes the difference between these two treats. You can then add a third treat and a fourth treat and a fifth treat if you want. But in the end, with a little bit of work, your dog is going to tell you what treats are prioritized for his training. Now, back to the training and loading the word or loading the click. It doesn't take a dog long to understand the basics of marker training. This is where their acute intuitiveness comes into play. Most dogs pick up on the concept of charging the word yes or charging the clicker in about 20 minutes. Once a dog has learned this first step, then we can move on to using markers in our training. Before we start, I need to remind you that dog training is a learned skill and that it can develop into an art form. To become effective as a trainer, you need to be nitpicky with yourself in what you do during your dog training. The most important trait of really good dog trainers is that they are very consistent. Learning to be consistent is critically important to marker training. When we're ready to start training, we need to pick an exercise to start marker training with. I like to start with a hand touch. This is an exercise where we offer our hand down at our side with the palm facing the dog. The dog must come over and touch his nose to the palm of our hand. When this exercise is trained with markers, it turns into a fun game for your dog. You only need to look at the photo at the top of the free ebook on my website of Cindy's dog leaping above her shoulders to touch her hand to realize that this dog loves this game. There are a lot of different applications for the hand touch. It can be used to redirect your puppy from something that you would rather he not get into when he's young. It can be used to redirect your dog away from someone or something or another animal when you're out for your walks. So there's a million different applications on how you can use the hand touch exercise. When dog trainers teach an exercise, they learn to break the exercise into component parts and teach the individual parts separately and then put all these small parts back together for the exercise. A few weeks ago, I attended a seminar by Ann Brow in Eau Claire, Wisconsin on training puppies for agility work. Ann is one of the top agility trainers in the United States, probably in the world. 
She's been on the world team representing the United States a number of times. I highly recommend her seminars. But Anne uses a term called splitting to describe how to break an exercise into its component parts for the training. I love the choice of that word to describe the process because people can easily grab the concept of it. Through the use of splitting, dogs can be trained to perform very complicated exercises by breaking the exercises down into many little bitty pieces, teaching each piece, and then putting them all back together to perform the complicated exercise. New trainers need to understand that you cannot over-split an exercise. The fact is, the more you split an exercise, the easier it is to train the individual component parts. Some trainers call these parts building blocks. That's what I used to call them. Some people call them components. Some call them pieces. It really doesn't matter what you call them as long as you understand the concept of splitting an exercise. The task that needs to be trained within each of these split pieces is called criteria. We need to split the hand touch exercise into component pieces that can be marked so they can shape the behavior of the dog into the final exercise, which is when I show him the flat blade of my hand, he comes over and touches his nose to my hand. So here's how we would split it. The first time that we would take a dog out and he looked at our hand as we offered it, we would mark it. If he would lay down, if he would sit, if he would do absolutely anything, it really doesn't matter what he does the first time, we'll mark that experience. Now, this is where it can get a little bit confusing to the new trainer because they're going to say, well, what does sit, lay down, whatever have to do with the hand touch? And the answer to that is placement of the reward. One of the most important concepts for new trainers to grasp is how important correct placement of the reward is to this training. Now let me explain. I want to train my dog to touch my hand. He can do anything he wants in the first steps. I want to mark the moment by saying yes, wait one second, and then I feed the dog the high-value treat at the palm of my hand. Even if he's 10 steps away from me, I feed it my hand. The dog needs to come to my hand to get his high-value reward. Another example is when I want to teach my dog to lie on the rug. If he does anything, anything at all in the beginning, and I mark that moment, but I place the food on the rug, it's not going to take the dog long to figure out that I want him to lay on the rug, and that's where he's going to get his high-value reward. And it's the same with the hand touch. Once a trainer learns how to place his reward in the correct spot, he will find the learning process accelerates. You will find the correct placement of the reward drastically speeds up the learning curve of your dog. When the light bulb goes off in the dog's head, you can see that he's trying to figure out what it is you want him to do, and he'll begin to experiment. He'll start to do what worked for him a minute ago. This is when you can mark or shape the behavior into the exercise that you want. This is where you will wait and you won't mark the moment until he looks at your hand. Or you won't mark the moment until he takes one step towards your hand. But both looking and taking one step result in placement of the reward at the palm of your hand. 
With difficult exercises that need to be split into many, many different little parts, you wouldn't want to move from one part to the next part until your dog is consistently hitting the part you're working on 80% of the time. Now, some people would say, well, why would you do it at 80% of the time and not wait until he's doing it 100% of the time? The answer to that is you want to continue to challenge your dog. If you wait until he's doing it 100% correctly all the time, you run the risk of boring your dog, and then he's going to lose drive. Now we're going to talk about the difference between shaping versus luring. There is a difference between shaping an exercise into something that you want and luring a dog through an exercise. And here's an example. You can split the sit command into its various components and reward the dog with a mark and place the food treat over his head so that he looks up to get his reward. This is shaping. The food is never out until after the dog is marked. When a trainer lures a dog, they show the food treat before the exercise even begins. It's compared to showing the dog a bribe, and then asking him to do something to get the food. In the sit exercise, you lure the dog by holding the food up in the air, and when the dog comes in to smell it and try and take it from your hand, you move the food up and back a little bit until the dog moves into a sit position, and then you give him the food. While these two concepts both work, the dog, that goes through shaping, learns to problem solve and think about what he's doing quicker than the dog that's lured or manipulated into position. Luring also takes longer to teach an exercise. This results in people having to give corrections to finish their luring work. I will say that the marker purists will only shape exercise. I have to say that there are times when I find that I can lure a dog a few times to get him to focus on the training. Maybe I'm just a little impatient. Uh, I'm not sure that uh, this is right or wrong. It's just the way that I do things. I will say that I don't lure dogs very often. I'm very conservative about how I do it, how often I do it, and there's never any long-term luring into the training. Remember when I said at the beginning of this podcast that it's critical that you don't use commands in the beginning of marker training? Well, if you're not giving commands, how does your dog know what you want him to do when you take him out to train today? Once a new trainer has worked on markers for a while and the dog knows several steps in the splitting process of an exercise, but the word for the command has not yet been added to the training... We call this naming the exercise. The handler's going to come to a point where they ask themselves, if I'm not telling the dog what I want him to do today, how does my dog know what exercise I want to work on when I take him out in the backyard? If you really sit down and think about this, that's a pretty good question. The answer is one of the most important concepts that new trainers need to understand if they're going to get the most benefit from marker training? The answer is that it's the dog's job to recognize the fact that you want him to do something. This means 
he has to recognize from past experience that you want him to do something. Past experience has taught him that you have a high-value food reward, which you want to give to him, but he has to do something first to get it. You know what you want him to do, but he doesn't. So, if he's motivated enough, he will try what's worked for him in the past. He will go into his little bag of tricks and do everything you have already taught him to do. For example, he will sit, or he will lay down, or he will stand, or he will move into the heel position, whatever. Your job is to ignore the dog as he does all these little things and keep saying, Nope, keep trying. Nope. Not that, in an encouraging tone of voice. Then, when he eventually gets to what you want him to do, you mark the moment and have a little party with the dog. Stop and think about what just happened. New trainers will think, well, I just successfully trained him to do that portion of the exercise. Experienced trainers will take a different view. The experienced trainers will recognize that the dog just went through a problem-solving exercise and figured out the solution to the problem. In other words, the trainer just taught the dog to think for himself. Don't underestimate how important this skill is. In my opinion, problem-solving is the greatest achievement of marker training. One of the biggest mistakes that many new trainers make is they get frustrated. They don't let their dogs figure things out. They get ahead of themselves and start to name the exercise before their dogs understand the task. The result is their dogs don't learn to problem-solve as well as other dogs that have been taken through the work correctly. To the trainer who says, well, I take my dog out and he just sits there. He doesn't want to do anything. Well, your dog is not hungry enough or your treats are not good enough. Do your training before you feed the dog during the day, or put the dog away and let the dog miss a feeding for the entire day. Or, if you have a couple of dogs in your home, put the dog away, show the dog his bowl of food for the day while he's in a dog crate, and then feed his bowl of food to the second dog. This will create frustration in this dog, and frustration builds drive. The bottom line is the dog that comes out and just sits around and won't work does not have enough drive. It doesn't hurt a dog to miss food for a day. It doesn't hurt a dog, really, to miss food for two days. They can't go without water, but they can go for a few days without food. And then when you bring these high-value food treats out, trust me, there's going to be a lot of drive to figure out what it is You want him to do to get these treats. The bottom line is that when things like this happen, the trainer has made mistakes. You need to back up your work. A good trainer is never afraid to back up a few training steps to make sure that the foundation for what he's training is correct. Now we're going to talk about naming the exercise or adding a command to the exercise. I've already made the point that at No time during the previous process have I added a command to the exercise. So far, our work is all being done with hand signals by putting our hand down by our side with the palm facing the dog, and the dog recognizes through our body signals what it is, or he has a pretty good idea, what it is we want him to do. Ann Brow has a saying that I also find fitting. You don't name an exercise until you love it. 
This means you don't add the word touch to the hand touch exercise until the dog is doing it correctly 110% of the time. Now, this is a little different than moving on from one split portion of the exercise to the next split portion of training the exercise where you wait until a dog gets to 80%. That's a different concept. You don't name an exercise until the dog's doing it 110% of the time. Because if you ask a dog to do it and he doesn't do it, you have a dilemma. What are you going to do? You almost have to give a correction to force the dog to do what you've asked him to do. And that goes against the grain of what we're trying to do with marker training. During the training process, you're going to see dogs start to anticipate your exercise. Anticipation is a great thing. It's a way for us to see that the dog is actively trying to participate in the work. It tells us he's thinking and he's trying to figure out what we want. Even if the dog anticipates with incorrect behavior, it tells us he's trying to work things out. The thing that requires a degree of latitude is knowing how to approach anticipation in the beginning of the learning phase of an exercise and how to approach anticipation after the exercise has been named. In the beginning, we mark any effort, even if it's the wrong effort, by placement of the reward near the target. This means we could reward anticipation even if the behavior is not what we want, as long as we are placing the reward correctly. When we think the dog 100% knows the exercise and we name the exercise by adding the command, then we need to be prepared to do something if he refuses and doesn't do it, because we need to be prepared to do something if he either refuses or doesn't do it because he doesn't understand what we're asking. There's a toolbox full of possible options here for us to think about. We can either ignore false behavior, or we can say, nope, keep trying, in an upbeat voice, not a mad voice. We can back up our training because we've been lumping things together. The opposite of splitting is lumping, and the dog really doesn't understand what we want him to do, so we need to go back to splitting the exercise. We can lure the dog. I know all the purists will disagree with me here, but it's an option. You can put the dog in his crate for three or four minutes and then get him out and try it again. Do this enough, and the dog learns a timeout means something. I didn't used to think that timeouts were a good idea and they worked, but I was wrong. With many dogs, it becomes a motivator. It frustrates the dog, and frustration builds drive. You can also use a screw-up cookie, and I'm going to explain that later in the podcast. And finally, as a last resort, we can correct the dog. Not a good solution, but it's an option in the toolbox. The bottom line is, is that when this happens, it's not the dog that made the mistake. It was you, the handler. You got ahead of yourself, and you either lumped the exercise or you didn't understand what's going on. This is going to happen to all of us. It's how we learn. My dad had a saying, the definition of a good carpenter is one that knows how to fix his mistakes. Well, it's the same for a good dog trainer. A good dog trainer knows how to back up his training and fix his mistakes. New dog trainers need to learn correct timing when they give their mark. 
the easiest way to understand how this works is to think like a dog. In a way, your dog takes a mental photograph of exactly what he's doing at the instant you mark a behavior. They relate their behavior to this mental photograph. A visual method for you to help learn timing is to ask a friend to take a digital camera out and take a photo every time you say the word yes. Tell them, don't focus on what the dog's doing. Only listen and focus on my voice. And every time I say yes, you need to push the shutter button. This is an easy way for you to evaluate what's going on in your dog's mind when you give the mark. The correct time to mark is the instant the dog meets the criteria of the particular training step you're working on. For example, when teaching the hand touch, if it's the step when the dog is finally touching your hand, the point to mark is the very instant the dog's nose touches your hand, not three or four or five seconds after the dog touches your hand. From a canine learning standpoint, a dog needs to have the mark within one second of the actual deed, or they don't really relate to what they're being rewarded to. Some people will say it's a second and a half. Another important concept new trainers should grasp is the fact that no mark, no mark at all, is going to become a form of communication between you and your dog. As dogs gain experience during marker training, they learn that when you're not offering a mark, they're not doing what you expect them to do. It means they need to keep trying. So don't underestimate the value of no mark. Doing nothing can become a powerful motivator for your dog. Many people look at confusion on the dog's part as a problem. They step in and rescue the dog by luring it into doing what they want it to do, when in reality, they should give the dog time to try and problem solve and work out the situation. So if your dog is working, if he's trying, don't step in and rescue him. Up to this point, we have not expected a dog to add duration of time to an exercise. This means we don't expect our dog to do a sit-stay. We don't expect our dog to do a down-stay during the training. As far as we're concerned, and as far as the dog is concerned, as soon as we say yes, the exercise is over and the dog is released. We don't think about adding duration until a dog is consistently performing the exercise all the time. When that time comes, we simply delay the mark. But as we do this, we offer multiple rewards. During the period that we are offering these additional rewards, one right after another, we're telling the dog, good dog, in a soothing tone of voice. We've already conditioned the dog to good dog by gently praising him in using these words, good dog, when we're not training. We've done this a lot, so the words good dog, softly spoken, are a nice, happy, fuzzy feeling for the dog. In other words, when the dog performs a sit and we want to extend the time that he stays sitting, we offer the food treat without giving the mark. In fact, we continue to offer food rewards one right after another, saying good dog good dog while the dog stays sitting then when we're ready to release the dog we simply mark the moment saying yes 
and release the dog with a party. Duration in time is extended for random periods starting in seconds and not getting into minutes for months. In the beginning, we only extend the time by two or three seconds, then five seconds, then seven seconds, then two seconds, then maybe ten seconds. With puppies, we never, ever recommend going past 20 or 30 seconds. And if your dog breaks the sit or breaks the down while you're doing that, all you have to do is turn your back to him and say, nope, or some dogs, you can actually train a command and say, Oh, no. With a soft dog, this works really well. But simply turning your back and stopping the whole process and making it start again is communication to your dog. And then next time, giving the mark command quicker than you did last time. You probably extended the time period beyond his level to focus and concentrate. An important part of marker training is to vary how you deliver the food reward to your dog. By this I mean you have three options. The food can either come from your right hand, your left hand, or occasionally from your mouth if it works that uh, you can spit the food to the correct placement of where you have to give the reward. Rewards from the mouth don't work in all situations. We wear our bait bag in the middle of our back, and after yes, we will put our hands, both hands, behind our back at the same time. This allows the reward to come from either hand. We don't want the dog to anticipate a right-hand delivery or a left-hand delivery. We want the value of the word yes and not the specific movement of a right arm or a left arm to be the important marker for the dog. There's a question that comes up, and that is... How long do you use food rewards? And the answer is forever. Pure and simply put, you can do random rewards from the moment you begin marker training to the day that your dog dies. There is no reason to stop marker training. Random rewards maintain drive. There are a couple of examples I use to convince people of this. We have cats, and they constantly try and catch birds. Our cats are well-fed, and not the swiftest creatures on the market. By that I mean in terms of speed. I have never seen them actually catch a bird, but they never stop trying. I also bow hunt for deer. This past fall, I probably sat a total of two weeks in trees. I shot one deer. The fact that I only had success one in 15 times doesn't dampen my interest in hunting. People who go to casinos are another example and play slot machines. They only win occasionally, but this is enough to build their drive and anticipation to come back and play again. So, the old school yank and crank trainers who poo-poo using food for training are missing a great motivational tool. When they complain that at some point you're going to have to stop using food, you can say to them, this simply is not true. You only go from rewarding every attempt to random rewards. Some people will ask, when do you stop marker training? And the fact is, you don't have to stop using markers unless you want to. By using them a lot, you develop a line of communication between you and your dog that allows you to tell your dog that he's doing something you like and that you want him to do. Dogs intuitively 
pick up on this. And that line of communications can stay with you for the life of your training. You also don't need to offer the dog high-value rewards with advanced marker training. A simple good dog and a pat on the side tells the trained dog you appreciate his effort. As your relationship gets better, the value of your verbal and physical praise will increase. Your goal can be eventually to teach a dog that the reward may be you tossing a toy or you playing tug or a good dog with a pat on the side or a high-value food treat. The dog never knows what the reward's going to be, and this builds drive and anticipation. As the dog goes through training, they will begin to understand the concept of training. And by that I mean, with time, your dog will learn that you're trying to teach him something when you go out for training. When this happens, you will see that they recognize training scenarios. They recognize their owners are trying to communicate and teach them a task. They will actively want to try and figure out what it is you want them to do. Some dogs will eventually do a great deal of work for praise from the handler. They don't need high-value food rewards all the time. I'd like to talk about handler mistakes. The best way to approach handler mistakes is to first accept the fact that this is normal. Mistakes in training need to be looked at as a learning experience for the trainer. They don't necessarily need to be a bad thing. Every good trainer is prepared to look for points in training where they get ahead of themselves and have to back up the work and split exercises into smaller pieces, while Bad trainers always blame the dog and say the dog knew better than that. The beauty of marker work is it's pretty hard to hurt your dog much if you make a mistake. Missing a mark is not like correcting a dog or giving a wrong correction at the wrong time. Giving a correction at the wrong time to a soft dog can cause it to shut down. Missing a mark during marker training on the same soft dog doesn't have any effect at all. With this said, Handlers can make mistakes in marker training, which do confuse the dog. But with that said, it's not that serious that it's going to shut the dog down from training. One of the most common handler mistakes that new trainers make is to reach for the reward at the same time that they say yes, and not after they say yes. Remember, there needs to be that short break between yes and reaching for the reward. This pause between the mark and the reward, can increase as training progresses. The pause builds anticipation, and anticipation builds drive. Adding the pause also allows you to fix a moment in time in your dog's head. This is important for those times in training when you're not standing right next to your dog and you can't reward him immediately. You can still say yes even though it may take you a number of seconds to get over and give him the reward, he knows it's coming. Teaching the delay between the mark and the reward will become a valuable tool for later training. The same problem arises from those people who move the clicker hand when they make the click. This teaches the dog that they need to look for movement in the hand as a reward and not the actual mark. Earlier in this podcast, I talked about screw-up cookies. These are also an Ann Brown invention that I really like. There may come a time when your dog simply does not want to try any longer. 
this usually indicates that the dog does not have a good enough relationship with the owner or the exercise is not split enough or the reward is not high enough value or the dog isn't hungry enough. You may not have shown enough patience and allowed the dog enough time to work through it. But when this happens, there are a number of options open to trainers. One option should be the use of the screw-up cookie. Here's how it works. The dog stops working. You realize the problem is one of the above. Rather than give a correction, you realize that you've made the mistake and you've gone too fast, too far. So you ask the dog to do something he really, really likes to do that's a very, very simple task, like a hand touch. Once the dog does that, you give him one of your food rewards, but it's not a high-value food reward. The screw-up cookie gets you out of the problem and lets you put the dog away so you can rethink the problem and try and come at it from a different direction. If you're using markers to teach your dog a moving exercise, and we'll use the example of jumps, only mark the same location during the movement twice in a row. This is another little tidbit I learned from Ann Brow. What this means is, is that if you mark the dog just at the point where he takes off from the ground, only do it twice in a row. Then move on and mark the point where the dog lands twice in a row. Once you've done that, you can back it up and go back and mark the takeoff again twice in a row. This may be oversimplifying the point, but it's important that you understand the concept of only marking the same spot in a moving exercise twice in a row. It will improve your training. This brings us to the end of our podcast. If you felt like you learned something from this podcast and would like to review the material, I have a free ebook on marker training on my website at Learberg.com. If you came to my podcast through iTunes or one of the other podcast websites, you may want to check out our website at Learberg and see what we have to offer. In addition to free podcasts and ebooks, we also offer a large number of dog training DVDs that I've been doing since 1982 along with an excellent selection of dog training products. My goal in offering training products has always been to only offer the highest quality products that I can find anywhere in the world. Many of the products we sell come from Europe, where dog training is a passion and people respect quality. Learberg will never try and compete with Kmart or PetSmart or Petco and sell cheap training products. I have always felt that there was a market for quality training tools, and Learberg is here to service that niche. It's worked for us for 25 years. Thank you for listening, and I hope our ideas on market training will help your dog training.